0: This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 10, episode 34.
1: This is Writing Excuses, Q&A on pacing. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Howard. I'm Mary. And I'm Dan. Howard apparently has a question about who he is. There's a pacing issue. Yeah, there. I, I had
2: a, I had a pacing issue. Oh my goodness!
1: <laughs> All right, so I'm going to jump right into this. These are questions from Twitter po- posed to us about pacing, and James asks, "What are early signs of pacing problems?" When nothing happens
2: and you're expecting somebody to say their name, that's a really real.
1: Oh, sorry, oh, that's not a. <laughs> well, no. then,
0: that's that's not actually. I mean, well, you're being silly. It it is true that when when you're sitting there and you, are, you cannot name anything that your character has accomplished towards a goal, mm-hmm. there's, there's a, a pacing issue. When you are bored yourself writing, there's right. probably a pacing mm-hmm. issue. If, if
2: you are frustrated, if nothing's happening and it is building tension and the tension is driving the story forward, that's fine. If nothing's happening and you're frustrated because nothing's happening, then you have a problem.
1: You know, one thing that I um, think a lot of new writers get wrong, is they think, oh, this book's going to be so cool when I get to X. Yeah. And that's actually a pacing problem. What they need to do is they need to ask, why is the scene I'm writing today going to be somebody's favorite scene in the book? Mm-hmm. Try mm-hmm. to write every scene that it's going to be that way. And usually, and you, you can, don't go too crazy on this where you're like, well, I'm just going to have dragons attack in this one. Um, and maybe you do want to want to do that. But really, what you're looking at is, what am I going to do in the scene that, achieve something that's going to make the reader feel an emotion? What's going to draw them to the scene? What's going to make this chapter memorable? And you need to do that for all your chapters, not just the cool ones at the end.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I read on an e-reader now more often than not, and I have gotten to the point where if I look down at the bottom and it says that I am 10% of the way through and I still don't know what the main plot is about, mm-hmm. I will just give up.
0: Yeah. So one of the answers to your question is uh, hand it to a beta reader. Yeah.
3: Yeah. If, if they can't figure easily. out what the main problem that needs to be solved is, or worse, the book that I gave up on a couple days ago, I was a good twenty percent into that book and still didn't know who the main character was. So. We had an
2: exercise on. Uh, I think it was an exercise on promises to the readers, where you hand it to beta readers mm-hmm. and ask them to identify the things that you're promising. Um, that's actually a pretty good exercise to yeah. identify pacing problems as well. Yeah.
1: All right, D asks, um, "How do you chart pacing so it happens even, evenly, with growing tension up to climax and resolution?"
0: Boy, I wish I knew. I, I, use,
2: <laughs> I use a radial graph in Excel, and no, I don't. I don't chart it.
1: I. I, no, I this, do. This is a good question, <laughs> but.
3: Go ahead, Dan. You were going to well, say something. Well, I, I, I talk about story structure a lot and the seven-point system and things like that. I, for me, the way I write, I need to know how something is going to end in order to get there properly. And that goes not just for the end of a book, but for every reveal that I'm trying to make or for every exciting payoff. I need to know what are the steps that are going to lead me to it. And so there's a lot of different story structure systems out there that can help you with this. We don't have time to go into all of them now, but something like that. You know, we talked uh,
2: a couple of weeks, several weeks back about uh, strangling, uh, strangling somebody with the telephone cord, and the telephone was a hand-me-down from grandma. And so you have the strangling scene and the emotional impact of using grandma's phone for it. Yeah. Uh, setting those things up and writing, the, writing down that you are setting those things up and that you want them to coincide at this moment, uh, that's actually something. That, that's the only way that I can make those things happen is by writing them down in a notebook and saying, I need to have these coincide here.
0: Yeah. Uh, one thing that I, I think that we actually are, are missing in this question is that she asks, um, how do you chart pacing so it happens that's evenly? That's what I was going to answer. And, and it shouldn't actually be happening evenly. Yeah. Uh,
1: let, me, let me say, yes, it shouldn't. But – one of my early problems as a writer, and my, all my alpha readers, it started to become a joke, is I would overlap all my climaxes at the end of the story. And so what would happen is... We called it the Brandon Avalanche. Brandon Avalanche. And still I get readers who read Elantris, which was one that I wrote during that era, who are like, wow, this book was, was great. I really enjoyed it. But it felt like the last third was empty with then one chapter of everything piling on top of it, itself. And what I've realized over those years is, at first I was proud of The Bride and the Avalanche, and then I realized it was making weaker books. Because if I staggered my climaxes so that payoffs were happening every few chapters, instead of getting all the payoffs at the same time at the end of the book, you had a stronger book. Part of this is because not all those payoffs are gonna shine if you're, you know, if you're having the main character climax happen alongside three secondary character climaxes with their, their stories, the secondary cl- characters get lost. Mm-hmm. But if you've had their payoffs and their climaxes happen staggered through the book, then each person has their time to shine. And this happens with subplots as well. And so, yes, I do think you do want it to be more even. That said, Mary...
0: Yeah, I, see, I've, and this is one of those things where we're, we're probably using the word "even" in, mm-hmm. in different ways. When I'm, I'm going to have to use metaphor to talk about this: uh, that, that when, when I hear, uh, and when I when I read books that I feel like the pacing is very even, um, it's it's like reading a, a listening to a piece of music that is all at one volume. Uh and for me I like mm, yeah. I, I find it much no, more interesting right. when there's there's different speeds, there's different volumes, there's different instruments. And and the challenge what what you're looking for is is not an evenness but a progression so that it, it feels like we are we are making um progress. God, there's gotta be another word. What's the big road <laughs> race in France or Monte Carlo? R-
2: the, the uh Tour de France? Is, I thought the Tour de France was a bicycle thing. But. Yeah, well, you said road race. What I'm thinking <laughs> of is a motor car race, and it's the difference between, when you're talking about even plotting, it's a different, the Grand Prix. difference between the Grand Prix and the Indianapolis 500. The Indianapolis mm. 500 has corners that are very, very evenly spaced, and it is a very even 500 miles where the obstacles are really just the other things on the track, whereas the Grand Prix is far twistier and turnier. And that's—I yeah. like— Grand Prix plotting.
1: Darcy asks, and this is one specifically, I think, for you, Howard. You said before it's not always scene, sequel, scene, sequel. I just want to clarify, for faster pacing, we up the scenes and lessen the sequels, right? And the opposite for slower pacing?
2: Generally speaking, yes. If you take away processing time, sequels, generally speaking, are when the audience gets to process what happened during the scene. And if you don't give them the processing time, uh, you have increased the pace, you, you you run the risk of increasing fatigue, but, uh, yeah, scene, 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 sequel will feel a lot faster than scene, sequel, scene, scene, generally.
1: Was, yeah. I'm going to stop us here for the book of the week. Um, I have the book of the week this week. It's called Nothing to Envy, Ordinary Lives in North Korea. I just finished it, and I loved it. It is nonfiction. Um, And it nonfiction of the style that I most like, which is kind of human interest mixed with something. Um, In this case, it is the story of a number of North Korean defectors, and it's their stories intermixed with one another, while also talking about North Korea as a country, um, where it came from, why certain things were happening with the, the governmental policies. So it's half history book, half biography, of all of these, these defectors. There's maybe four or five of them. We follow their stories from just basically from the beginnings of their lives until the point where they leave North Korea. And then the sequel, their reactions to South Korea. Um, it's a wonderfully written book. It's very um, inventive and interesting in the way that it is paced because you get these sort of stories mixed with history in a really, really fascinating way. Um, I love reading about Korea, but... I love reading about North Korea because it is such a strange place. No place like it exists on this planet currently. Um, it, the things that happen there are surreal, um, and they are great fodder for fantasy writers. Looking at you know what happens when um, social norms are are grossly. Um, uh, changed or morphed or, um, or things like this. Anyway, really interesting book. I highly recommend it. Um, it is called Nothing to Envy. It was written by um, Barbara Demick, and it is narrated by Karen White. And if you want to get a copy um, to listen to, you can go to audiblepodcast.com excuse. Uh, you can get a 30-day free trial, download Nothing to Envy for free. All right, let's jump back into this with more questions. Justin asks, "How do you handle the progr- progression of a character over the series of a few months as they travel without the story feeling choppy?" Um, and I like this one. It's, he's basically asking, "How do you do a travel log without it feeling choppy?" But it really can happen for any pacing style you're using. How do you keep the pacing feeling smooth when you might be jumping a week here and two weeks there? My first
2: thought was, "Well, at some point you just add an eye patch." And <laughs> then don't say
0: anything.
1: <laughs> no, J.K. Rowling's very good at this. Uh-huh. Those books take a whole year. And I remember reading the first one being like, this should feel choppy because we're skipping a month here and we're skipping two weeks there. Why mm-hmm. doesn't it feel choppy? That's, well, this, go ahead.
0: Really good. At, I was going to say she's really good at signposting. Is that what you were going to talk about?
3: No, but go so ahead. you well, say we signposting get, and I'll get say a different both. thing.
0: Okay, so, so the signposting is uh, the idea of of basically giving people the three months later without actually saying three months later mm-hmm. um, things signaling by uh by seasonal elements by um making sure that you actually give the reader even though you're you're doing a a jump cut, yeah. Um, you have Christmas
2: scenes in
0: JK. Yes. Rowling
2: are a great example of that. Exactly.
0: You're giving them an anchor point so that they when you, you land in the scene, you understand where it is before the action happens. Yeah, and you get the
1: sense that um, boring things have happened, progress has been made that you really didn't want to read, but you yeah. want to know happened. Yeah. yeah. what yeah. were you going to say?:
3: I was going to say I, I did uh, that, that's how the first couple of John Cleaver books were written as well. Hmm. big month or multiple month gaps between scenes. And what you're going for there is that you only want to describe the interesting stuff. Um, And so, yeah, you're going to skip the boring things. You are going to... uh, And and part of what I was trying to do that I think can help with this is some of the interesting stuff you are going to describe is not plot related. Because if everything you talk about when you're jumping through time like that is specific advancement of plot, it can feel jumpy. Whereas if you pause, and this is another great pacing tip, if you stop and have one chapter that is entirely about character development rather than plot development, then that can help it smooth out a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think actually looking at training montages in films are useful because it, it you know, it's as you say, not everything that they use in that is going mm-hmm. to come back and be used in the final fight. But it's, it's very much the, let us show you this little bit. Let us show you this little bit. And they're fairly even the, the length of time, not completely. Some of them are a little bit longer, some a little shorter. I have, um, in of noble family, I have a, I have a montage. Yeah. Um, which I can't tell you about because (laughs) OMG spoilers, but (laughs) the,
3: uh, the other thing you need to remember is if you have set up something that is really urgent you can't jump too far ahead in time. Yeah. Because that is going to break it up and make it feel right. choppy as well. Because your reader is going to be pulled out and go, wait, why are we two weeks ahead when. Yeah, you know, we only something... have three weeks until the bomb
1: goes yeah. off. You why? can't
3: jump two weeks. Exactly. I jumped,
2: uh, I, I jumped about two weeks ahead in Schlock Mercenary in between books. And a lot of people asked, wait a minute, wait a minute, why, how'd she get dead? We, we, we you know, what, what happened? And part of the story that I wanted to tell is she got dead and she came back and she does not get those memories back and neither do you. And that message doesn't come across until after we have seen her talk about, you know, Mm. I lost 10 days. Well, yeah, plus the four when we were putting you back together. I lost two weeks. Yes. And by making them be gone and by making the reader not get them, I get to establish early in the book a consequence that I can leverage
1: later. That's a really risky move. I'm reading that storyline right now. Yes, it's very risky. And the
2: problem is that as it unfolds on the web, Mm -hmm. it's frustrating for people. When it appears
0: in print, I think I'll be okay. (laughs) Yeah, and and one of the things you just made me think about with the signposting again is, uh, and again, uh, Rowling does this and a couple of other people do this. That I mean, lots of people do this. But um, that before the scene break, As well, there is a signpost that indicates that boring stuff is going to happen so that you know that we're going to be jumping.
3: Yeah. You know, the, the kids say, well, okay, we've dealt with this thing and found our next clue. Now we'd better
1: study for that potions test. Yeah. And you go, okay, we're allowed to breathe now. Um, really good one here from Ryan, um, who actually asked two similar questions. It feels like debut authors are expected to start their novel at a breakneck break ne- break pace. At what point is it okay to slow down? That should the first book be 120 miles per hour until the end? Um, and what you're noticing, Ryan, is that <clears throat> it is harder for the new writer. I think it is absolutely, you don't get to do the things that an established writer has done. You don't get to do what I got to do in Way of Kings, where I do four different viewpoints at the beginning of the book um, and things like this. Now, I'm not saying you don't get to. You can, but what you're missing is the reader having faith in you already because they have read your work already, and this is unfair. It is completely unfair that I get to do things that you are going to get, um, get told, well, You can't do that when you say, look, Brandon Sanderson, it's a very successful book. Um, Yes, it is unfair. And you are going to be expected to have a faster pace for your first book. That doesn't mean it has to be 120 uh, miles an hour to the end.
2: On on point to the question, uh, one of the promises or one one of the things that the new writer has to accomplish in the first few pages is you want to read what I write. And I'm not sure what you, as a writer, you know how you are as a new writer, how you are going to say that. But that's one of the most important things you can say in those first few pages. That does not equal 120 miles an hour all the way to the end of the book. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: My books are really not 120 miles an (laughs) hour. But you are not writing that style of book. Um, No, but but I'm talking about as a debut author. Mm -hmm. um, It's not something that you have to do.
1: But you are going to you're going to enter your book. With, few, with the reader giving you less benefit of the doubt. Yeah. But the breakneck pace, that's one way to promise something to somebody. It's not the only yeah, way. I yeah, I
3: wanted to mention that because I remember I was, on a, uh, I was doing a workshop once where Shannon Hale and I were critiquing mm-hmm. people's first pages. And uh, we got to one which did not work for her at all, and I adored it. Mm. And it was because nothing happened in it And so she kept saying, well, you know, nothing happens on your first page. That's bad. And I thought, except it's so interesting. I Mm -hmm. love reading it. I want to read the next page. And sometimes I think that's enough,
1: though, as this example illustrates, not for every reader. Now, Ryan also brings up in his next question, Brent Weeks, um, which is an interesting one to look at you um, listeners. If you want to read... Two different, very differently paced books. You can read one of Brent Weeks' books, such as um, The Black Prism, and compare it to The Way of Kings. Um, He uses Mm -hmm. thriller pacing. And Ryan points this out. He's like, wow, he's got a 300,000-word book that reads like a thriller. And he does. Um, Jim Butcher does this as well in his Codex Alera books. Um, What they do, how do they do this? They make it take pace over a very short period of time. Uh, Jim Butcher's books are often one day. Um, And Brent Weeks' books are similar, one or two days. Um, They use these things we've been talking about for fast pacing, meaning they never really give you the chance for the sequel. It's always scene, 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 scene. It can get very fatiguing, but it also can be done very successfully. Um, And it's a tool you have to decide if you want to use. I personally prefer for the big books that I'm writing to have plenty of sequels. Plenty of breaks. I use the faster pacing on my short books that are meant didn't to be like a If you didn't include sequels, Brandon, people would die. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brent does it without sequels. Um, and it's very fascinating to read. Yeah. Very few. He has a few.
0: I was going to say, he, he definitely has a few. But, but the, what he does is he puts the sequel in the middle of a scene.
1: Yes, that's true. And then, yeah. Um, we're actually out of time. There were a lot of excellent questions on this, and I'm sorry that we didn't get to all of them. But Howard is going to give you a, a writing exercise. Okay, we're
2: doing, uh, we're doing plot twists uh, next. next month. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's pace you straight into plot twists with an exercise that I like to call hard left. Uh, take, take your pacing, take a scene that is moving forward at a breakneck pace, uh, and I imagine you know, a person running or a car driving fast, straight ahead, and then throw a twist at them and don't break scene. Don't do the cliffhanger. Don't do the page turn. Just take a hard left and roll with it and force us to keep that pace up as we jink to the left as we, as we move in a new direction.
1: Yeah, take something you weren't expecting to do and just run with it. Great. This has been writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go right.